We are wrapping up our series we've been in in Galatians 5, a series that we have called uh, Freedom. And uh, man, it's, it's crazy. Uh, the, the series actually went a week longer than we had planned, but we are talking about walking by the Spirit. And that's uh, one of the things that um, came out of um, this, this, this journey. And uh, as many of you know, we've taken time to memorize one of the key verses in this chapter, the very first verse in Galatians chapter 5, um, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. And I know people's blood pressure might start to rise a little bit, like is he going to call on us and ask us, you know, to recite it? And the answer is no, I'm really not. But I'm curious to know, like how many of you promise I will not ask you to do it, but how many of you feel like I've made some progress in this and could even potentially recite Galatians chapter 5 verse 1? Just a hand in the air so that we can feel like there is growth and people love Jesus in this space. So, uh, even if you don't get it right, but you feel like, yeah, I can, thank you. I see that hand back there. Thank you. I see those hands um, back there. This section doesn't even love Jesus, but you know what? Listen. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Okay. Somebody in the back there leaned over to lend some of your godliness uh, to the section. I'm joking. I'm joking. But um, we've been just journeying through this idea of the freedom we have in uh, the person of Jesus Christ. That in the cross, Jesus Christ has set us free from the penalty of sin, from punishment of sin. Um, he's unshackled us from the power of sin, and we get to now live free fully in everything he's designed and desired for us to live. There is nothing keeping us from living fully in everything that Jesus has called us to live in. And so we've just been exploring what does it look like for us to enjoy this freedom, not just as a matter of theory, but as a matter of life. What does it look like for us to experience more of the freedom that is ours in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you've missed any of this series, I would invite you to, to head to our YouTube channel or our website and just catch up on, on where we've gone. A little too much to try and um, summarize with all that we want to look at this morning. But a couple of weeks ago, um, we were looking at this idea that in Jesus, we have the ability to say no to sin. Uh, that as powerful as temptation might be, as strong as the impulse might be, that in Jesus, part of what freedom looks like is we can say no to sin. And we started to ask the question, what does it look like? How do we say no to sins that often seem like they wrestle us down and there's nothing we can do about it? And the answer Paul gave us was walk by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There is a way to say no to sin, and that way is to walk by the Spirit. And that's something uh, that we talked a, a little bit about two weeks ago. 
that I'm not going to give in to sin if I am learning what it looks like to give in to the Holy Spirit because the reality is we are all constantly giving in to one pressure or the other. Either the pressure of the nature um, to sin or the pressure of the Holy Spirit to walk in freedom and to walk in fullness. And this morning as we wrap, we just want to continue that conversation um, and just ask, what are some of the marks in my life that tell me I am walking by the Spirit? Because there may be some confusion. Well, I wonder if I'm walking by the Spirit, if I'm leaning more into the Spirit or leaning more into the pressure of the sinful nature. And Paul's about to tell us there is a way for you to gauge where you are in your own journey. There is a way for you to gauge the health of your walk with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul's about to give us a, a checklist of sorts. Because you know how uh, when you go to the doctor's office and you're waiting, you know, for three days in that waiting area, and they give you this sheet to fill out, 17 pages long, and it has this checklist of symptoms or experiences that you might have had so that it can brief the doctor, give him some kind of an update on your health. Um, well, in, in Galatians chapter 5, this section we're going to look at, Paul is doing something a, a little similar. Check the symptoms that apply to you, and they will give you a sense of the health of your walk with the Spirit. It will give you a sense of whether you are walking with the Spirit or walking in the flesh. You know where you are based on this checklist. So if you have a copy of the Bible, Galatians chapter 5, uh, we're going to start at verse um, number 19. Galatians chapter 5, we'll start at verse 19. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, by the way, we would love to give you a physical copy. If you head to the connection corner after the service, ask for one our absolute pleasure. Um, otherwise, the verses for this morning should be up on the screen here. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Here's what it says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. That's how Paul starts. Okay, uh, real quick, do you know uh, one of the most difficult questions to answer? And uh, some of you might understand this, some of you might not. But you know, a really difficult question to answer is the question, hey, are you a runner? That's a really <laughs> difficult question. To, how do you even answer that? Well, I was at the tire store one time. And uh, I saw Ben Higgins across the way, and I ran for a selfie. Mm. No, you ran one time. That does not make you a runner. A stalker, perhaps, but not necessarily a runner. It's a really difficult question if you, if you think about it. Um, well, once a year, around January the 2nd, I will run to my mailbox. No! Okay, that makes you guilty from overeating at Christmas, but it, it does not necessarily 
make you a runner. Because to be a runner, I think you have to string at least a, a number of runs together and establish a, a pattern. Then you can start to say, yeah, I, I think I'm a runner. I mean, being a runner means over the course of a given month, you leave your house on purpose. And if somebody asks you, where are you going? You say, I am going for a run. That is the thing that you are going to do or in your basement on some machine um, or whatever the case may be. And it means you are doing it now, present day, not 20 years ago when you were in high school and you were on the track team. It's a really tricky question if you ask me. And I've been thinking about this, you can tell, and I'm inviting you into my misery. Um, but if running is not a habit in your life, then maybe you can run, but you're probably not a runner. You have run, you've had the runs, but you are not a, a runner. That's a, that's a different thing Altogether. I'm sorry, I'm not Webster. I don't define these things. Um, you have to deliberately and repeatedly do it. Then you can be accused of being a runner. Now, there's a reason I actually bring that up. When Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious, it's probably better to read that as the patterns of the flesh. Paul is about to list a number of symptoms, but he's not interested in if you did it one time. He is interested in, is this a pattern in your life? Do you go back to this as a matter of deliberate and repeated habit? Now, if you do any of these things one time, a sinner you are. And you sinned, sure, but what Paul is about to establish here in measuring something of the health of your walk by the Spirit is not these one-off experiences, or I did something back in high school, or once every now and then this happens. He is talking about the patterns of your life. And what he's saying is the patterns of a person who is walking in the flesh. He says they are obvious. And by the way, he's calling us out right away. You know, you can pretty it up if you want, but it's obvious. You can explain it or try and justify it away, but in Paul's mind, he's telling us in heaven's economy, it's obvious. The things that are of the flesh and not of the spirit, he says those things are obvious. And I think this is really good because, man, in our hip culture, we have found a way to make certain things edgy and cool. And um, we'll even cite our freedom in Christ to do certain things. And I love that Paul says, no, um, the things that reveal you're not walking with a spirit, you're walking in the flesh, those things are obvious. And then he gives us a checklist. Second part of verse 19. They are obvious. Things like sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, 
jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. If those are the symptoms that you check as recurring in your life, he would say, obviously, you are not walking by the Spirit. Obviously. Um, sexual Im immorality. Um, again, the idea here is if there's a pattern of sexual expression, experience, or experimenting with someone other than your spouse, that's sexual immorality. And Paul says, obvious. Um, the emphasis, by the way, is that you're breaking your marriage vows or that you're helping someone else to break theirs by having some kind of a sexual interchange. The degree doesn't matter. It's interesting in the Bible, the degree just doesn't tend to matter. Whether it's sexual contact or a sexual conversation, whether it's a three or you go all the way to a ten, Paul doesn't care. He says it's obvious. You are helping or in doing whatever this is, you are breaking your own marriage vows. And he says if that shows up in your life as a matter of habit, something that you do, Paul would say, you know you're not walking by the Spirit. You're walking by the flesh. Again, to be clear, if you do it once, it's still a sinful step. But the conversation in Galatians 5 is about walking, not just about taking a step. And you know if you're a parent, don't lie and brag on social media, my child is walking. No, they took a step and then fell on their butt. That's not walking. They have to string a few steps together for it to qualify. So Paul is not saying if you do it once, it doesn't matter. It's still sin. But what he's talking about, is this the rhythm? Is this the pattern in your life? And if you check that, he would say that is obviously evidence you're not walking by the Spirit. He says impurity. Interestingly, Paul follows the word um, translated sexual immorality right away with the word impurity. I find that really interesting, almost like he knows the church a little too well. I don't know. But the word impurity is the word that's um, often translated uh, fornication. Um, and you know what this word means? It's a really interesting word, and experts have struggled to um, translate it. And, and one of the best translations is any sexual expression, experience, or experiment outside of marriage. Interesting, right? Just in case you're tempted to say, well, I have not made any marriage vows. And the person I'm fooling with, they're not married either. Paul says, well, let me throw in the word porneia, the word um, for impurity here. It's really interesting because this word covers any sexual experience outside of the marriage covenant. In fact, it doesn't matter 
if that sexual expression or experience is in your head or if it's in your bed or if it's on your phone. It doesn't matter if that sexual experience is verbal or if that sexual experience is visual. Well, we, we, we didn't touch each other. We just looked at each other. And Paul would be like, oh, yes. And the spirit was all over that, wasn't he? No, Paul uses this word that is a, a catch-all term because he knows how prone we are to justify and to try and dilute the obvious and make it somehow obscure and really gray. And he's saying if there is a pattern of sexual expression and experiencing that is outside of the marital context, that obviously should be an indication to you that you are not walking in the Spirit. Now again, we're going to have seeds of sexual thoughts and temptations. But when you find yourself, as we talked about a, a couple of weeks ago, following through on that as a pattern, he would say you're not walking by the Spirit. And then he lists debauchery, which is just such a gross-sounding word. Um, debauchery. Um, this is a word that speaks about untamed pleasure. Um, it's talking about a sinful passion or a sinful pleasure that has spiraled out of your control and now controls you. It's an untamed pleasure. You can't tame it. Oh no, you can't train it anymore. It calls the shots. The baby cub bear that was so cute and you started to nurse is now a full-grown mama bear and you just can't tame it anymore. That, that's the idea here. It's this thing that you need. You have to have it. And it's gotten to the place where you have to have it at any cost. You cannot say no to it and you cannot survive it feels like without it. You are fully aware of the fact that it can and often does hurt the people around you, but the hurt of the people around you is a price you are more than willing to pay because You've got to have this pleasure. You've got to give in to this passion. If there is a sin you cannot say no to, Paul says, let that alert you. By the fact that you had to check that box, let that alert you that you are not walking by the Spirit. But then again, Paul quickly tags on um, this next symptom. Again, it's like he knows church people, and he uses the word idolatry. Um, just like the word um, impurity, idolatry is this catch-all word. Uh, because an idol is any passion or any pleasure that you place above the person of Jesus. Anything in your life that you prioritize or that you pursue more than the person of Jesus. And you see how brilliant Paul is here? He uses just a slightly different word that takes out the idea of sin. Because I'm going to be tempted to say, oh, yeah, they're things that own me, but they're not sinful. 
there's nothing wrong with it. And Paul would say, oh, oh, let me clarify. Anything that has now taken this priority in your pursuit above Jesus, anything that is now at the place where you cannot say no to it, when it calls you come and you fall at its feet, that thing, he says, that is an idol. It doesn't matter if the church would consider it dirty or if they would approve of your Netflix binging that you can't stop or your daily coffee shop stops, which everyone thinks is, oh my goodness, here you are again to grab coffee. But for you, you cannot say no to it. You can't stop. We, um, we even have the most hilarious sayings about how necessary coffee is for our functioning. And we all just laugh about it, like, ha ha ha, for sure. I would die if I didn't have my cup of coffee. You might want to think about that. Or a sports team. Never seen dad cry till the Cubs lost. Um, just it's something that you pursue and prioritize incredibly. Snapchat or your phone. Like just it's surgically attached to you. Because it's just taken, in your world, such an incredible priority. And you can explain it away. No, my work stuff comes here, and this is also a way where I do this. But you, it's obvious to you. Things that we might say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not like I'm debauchering or anything. That's the idea of idolatry here. But Paul's point is if there's any passion or any pleasure that owns you or that you place above Jesus in priority or pursuit, that is, let that be evidence you might not be walking with the Spirit. Whether it's weed or whether it's work or whether it's working out. Whether it's kids, whether it's money, whether it's food, whether it's your personal chill time. Now, we will all have moments, but Paul's not talking about moments. He's saying if you cannot say no, or if at the end of the month you've kept up on Facebook, but your time with Jesus, you just don't keep up with that. Um, but, but you cannot miss other things. He would say that ought to concern and alert you about your walk. And then Paul gets weird and he says, and witchcraft. Um, which means if you are sitting in this room and you are in the habit of like wiggling your nose at people or wearing Harry Potter paraphernalia, I'm sorry, but no, that's not what he's talking about um, at all. Um, it's interesting, by the way, that the word for witchcraft is the word from which we get our English word pharmacy. Um, because the word is more about the use of drugs. It's more about the use of drugs that intoxicate the system. Um, in the time of the Galatians, there was a lot of witchcraft. There was a, a lot of sorcery. Um, and the sorcery would use all kinds of drugs, which is really um, interesting. And those drugs were designed to, to simulate um, a supernatural or a euphoric experience. Because um, when you're high, I hear, um, 
you're not sure what you saw. Oh, was it even real? Like, what was reality and what was not? Was that a fairy? Was that Lucy up there in the sky with diamonds? And you're just not sure when you are using drugs. Is that a white castle? And you just don't know. The point is, your inhibitions have been lowered and objectivity has been deactivated and you are tripping like, whoa! And by the way, if somebody helps you with that kind of an experience, you're going to be like, I believe them. I had an experience. They cast a spell and it was powerful. So they would implement these strong drugs in their practices. Paul is probably speaking about using anything to artificially produce a supernatural or a euphoric type of experience, whether by invoking some supernatural power or force or whether by using some, some substance to get high. If you're in the habit of using drugs to get a euphoric high by lowering your inhibitions, whether they are legal, prescription, illegal, it doesn't matter. If they deactivate objectivity and they have you like, whoa, Paul would say if that is a pattern in your life, if that's something you go back to, then that's a clue that you may not be walking with the Spirit. And then he, he, he turns the corner and really zones in on the state of our relationships because one of the greatest measures of your walk with the Spirit is how you walk with other people. Your relationships. Remember how Paul told the Galatians, you know what really matters? It's faith in Jesus expressing itself in the way you love the people around you. You want to talk about freedom in Christ? It shows up in the way you love the people around you. So Paul says there are some obvious patterns in the relationships of a person who's not walking with the Holy Spirit. And he lists a number of things. Hatred is the first one. If there is a person, if there are people who you treat as enemies, this, by the way, is an active word. This is not like I don't know somebody or I don't notice somebody. No, I know them but I deliberately treat them like an enemy. Paul says you are not walking by the Spirit. If you are walking in unresolved tensions with people, Paul would say that is a mark that you are not walking with the Spirit. You are walking by the flesh. He throws in this word discord. Uh, discord is the idea of constant relational strain. Well, I don't have any unresolved tension. Uh, Paul would say, yeah, but is your, uh, are your relationships marked by a pattern of constant tension? You may not have them. You may resolve them on a semi-frequent basis. But he's saying, but if you look around and your relationships are just marked by drama, you are always beefing with somebody. There's always somebody you're at odds with, and there's always someone you've upset or they've upset you, and that's just what your relationships 
look like, family, friends, workers, there's always someone. In fact, if your friends ask you, how's it going? It's like, oh my goodness. She this, she that, and that's the pattern of your life. This is not a small deal, church. Paul would say that is a mark that you are not walking with the Spirit who is so passionate about reconciliation and love between people. And Paul doesn't care about the reason, which is really interesting. Doesn't care why there is discord. Just the fact that it seems to follow you where you go. He says, oh, jealousy. Um, Jealousy is the idea of competitive passion, that you find yourself often mad about someone else's happiness or success. It just bothers you. They're happy, you're not. They're thriving, you feel a little sick in your soul. If that's the way you meet people's success and that's a pattern, Paul would say that should be of concern. Or the idea of rage. If you find yourself in a pattern where something upsets you and you blow up in an angry outburst and you lash out verbally, you lash out physically, or or you lash out withdrawingly. The point is, you lash out in a way that punishes somebody. Mom upsets you and you fly off in a disrespectful fit. Screaming at your kids because they did it again. The word suggests, which is interesting, that you blow up and you just set fire. You are, someone's going to pay. And then after you blow up, you calm down. And you, you actually settle and come back into your senses and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Goodness sakes, you guys. I flipped out, didn't I? You may even make things right, but Paul says, but you know what you do the next time you're triggered? The same thing. You explode again. And then you calm down and you buy everyone nice things and you say nice things and for two days you're really, and then you blow up again. And Paul says, if you have this peaking temper, this is not just some inherited thing. This is not just, oh, my, I'm, I have a temper about me. Paul would say, no, that's a marker of something in the health of your walk. Um, selfish ambition, he says. This is the idea of running for office. It's really interesting. The word selfish ambition is the idea of, of campaigning because you are constantly working to get people to think of you or to treat you more highly than they treat others. So you're constantly campaigning and performing for them. They are an audience and you need their vote. You need them to t- turn their chair for you and tell you, you are awesome. We vote for you. You are. You are amazing. If you're constantly bragging And feeling the need to diss other people. So you can elevate yourself in the eyes of people and put other people down. That's an evidence you may not be walking with the Spirit. Dissensions. This is the idea of being in the habit of starting feuds and widening divides with people. Did you hear what she said? Oh, she said this, and and they they said this. and, And you're just stirring to widen divides. That's the idea of... Um, factions here. Um, um, dissension, sorry. Factions um, is this idea of, you know, creating sides that you actually, it's not so much widening, but you just love to create an us and them world. 
based on ideology. Um, oh, those Democrats are awful. Are you one of them? No. Awesome. Come and be on my side and we'll be against them. And if you're constantly finding yourself just inviting this us and them and the charismatics and the conservative people and, and the Calvinists and, and whoever else it is, and you're constantly needing to be on a side and invite other people to a side, Paul would say that ought to be of concern. And he says drunkenness. Um, you can call it relaxed or tipsy or liquid courage, whatever. But if you're in the habit of getting intoxicated and relinquishing control to any degree, again, this is not saying I got drunk one time, but this is saying I do this on a semi-regular basis. Paul would say you're not walking with the Spirit, at least not the right one. Um, and we cannot start to minimize or endorse it like somewhere along the line, getting drunk or getting tipsy is become okay. And I've realized that somewhere in the church it became almost trendy. And Paul would say, no, that's not hip or cool, that's of spiritual concern. And then he follows up and wraps his list with a very fun word, orgies. Um, now, parents can explain this to their kids, but this word um, is, interestingly, it's, it's not so much about sex as much as it is about partying. Um, in the Galatian culture, it was the idea of groups getting together around alcohol and then drinking alcohol, and then letting the night take them wherever it goes. And whatever happens, happens. It's a party with alcohol at the center. Let's drink and see what happens. And people would be dancing in the street, and inevitably people would start to act out sexually. But the point was this party around let's just get wasted. And Paul is saying, listen, if that's the scene you frequent, you are not walking by the Spirit. It doesn't mean you can't ever go to a party where there's drinking. That's not the point. Or you can't even ever go to a drinking party. But if that's your scene, if you go back to a place that's designed to let's lower inhibitions and see where the night takes us, Paul would say that's going to reveal something about your heart. And he would be much less gracious than the contemporary church often is. If you look at your life and you have to acknowledge that your patterns or your trends include things like what Paul has just listed, let that serve as evidence that you are not walking by the Spirit. You are free in Jesus but you are wasting your freedom by giving it back to the very things from which you've been set free. How's the walk health in your life based on these symptoms? Verse 22, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against such things there is no law. The word fruit is such a great word, and I think we all understand it. It talks about what's naturally produced. He's talking about the things that will naturally emerge from something else. You know you're walking by the Spirit because of what's naturally produced from you. You know the Spirit is at work because of the fruit, the things that show up, the symptoms that show up in your Life. That's what Jesus meant when he said, by their fruit you will know them. Not by what they claim, but by what they produce. It's interesting, by the way, we tend to think that the evidence of someone walking by the Spirit are these powerful, miraculous gift expressions. And Paul would say, no, the greatest evidence that you're walking in the Spirit is the fruit of your life. What does your life consistently produce? And in case we weren't clear, Paul gives us a fruit sample. When you're walking with the Spirit, you can expect to consistently see patterns of love that you continually want and work for the good of other people. Selfish ambition campaigns and says, hey, put me above everyone else. Love says, how can I further you and your good? Some of you need to know that the work in you that's finding yourself concerned about the well-being of others and you're investing at great cost to yourself for the good of others, that may be a mark that the Spirit is working and that you are actually walking with Him. He says, joy, you consistently be light-hearted. Gladness will be your trend. You will not be that gloomy person. You will be the person who is full of joy, which is the evidence that the Spirit of God is whispering to you. Your greatest burden has been lifted, and your future is secure, and your Savior is walking with you, which allows you to walk through dark places and still be light-hearted. That only the Spirit of the living God. Joy, even in the midst of difficulty. Peace, he says. You will find your life is free from interpersonal tensions. It doesn't mean you won't have the occasional beef, but your relationships will be marked by resolution and getting along with people. She gets along with everybody to the point where if there is beef in your life, people are going to assume something must be crazy with that other person because she's really easy to get along with. Factions and dissensions are always stirring drama and fostering division. But if what you have are healthy relationships with people, Peace is what you help bring between people. The Spirit is evident there. Forbearance, which is often translated patience. And this is the idea that when you feel wronged, you are very slow to retaliate. Fits of rage. Rage blows up and pays back. Forbearance lets go and does not lash out in some vengeful way. This is beautiful. When people are hurt and they figure out a way to carry that to the Lord and resolve it in ways that do not attack. And he talks about kindness and he talks about goodness. And goodness, by the way, is such a strong word in our culture. It means that you are godly behind the scenes. You don't pretend to be something at church and then when you get home and you get with your other friends, you're something else. Goodness means there is consistency. What you show is what you are. That's an evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. If you're hiding constantly and you're duplicitous, 
says, no, but goodness is integrity and consistency. Faithfulness means that what you say is what you mean. You are a keeper of your word. And the people in your life know if you say something, you're going to do the thing that you said. That's evidence that you may be walking with the Spirit. Gentleness. And then he says self-control, which means you have mastery over your passions, not the other way around. You have passions, yes, you desire pleasure, yes, but your pleasure and your passions don't own you. You own them. You tell them heal. You are able to say no and you are able to say enough. You have a very clear sense of what you want now over what you want most. And you're in a position where you can choose what you want most over what you want now. That's a mark of the Holy Spirit. You want to know if you're walking with the Spirit Forget the gifts for a second. Look at the fruit of your life. What are the patterns that emerge in your relationships and in your relationship to your your impulses and to your passion? The question is, which list shows up? Which symptoms show up more consistently? Are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the spirit? Um, We skipped a jolting phrase, and I want to end with this. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, the second part. After Paul lists the obvious evidences that I'm walking in the flesh, here's what he says. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is jolting. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I thought you were just telling us to check whether or not we're walking with the Spirit or walking in the flesh. And Paul says, yes, but I'm telling you, if you look at this list and you say, this is the pattern of my life. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, hang on a second, Paul. You're ruining our series. We've spent a whole series talking about if I'm a follower of Jesus, there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. There's nothing I can do to make him love me less. We've reveled in the fact that Jesus has has paid my penalty. And because of double jeopardy, he's not going to punish me twice for the same sin. So Paul, I, I don't understand, you know, this heavy sentence that says that if your life continues to be marked by patterns described above, you will not make it into heaven. What? Um, I was thinking about this um, recently, and my son came to mind. I have a 14-year-old son, Judah, um, that I love most of the time. Um, he is my boy. He is my heir. He lives at my house. He eats um, all of my food. Um, firmly written, by the way, in, into my will uh, the last time I, I checked. Now, imagine for a moment that somebody ran up to me and they'd met my son and they were really excited to tell me, you know, um, about this. Hey, just met your boy. Love him. I'm like, ah, that's awesome. I love him. I love him, too. It's hilarious. I'm like, ah. Say funny, I feel like hilarious is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but sure, cool curly hair. I'm like, yeah, 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 that's his father's son, you know. Um, so so red that hair of his, I'd be like, um, 
okay, possible that he may have died it or may have bought a wig since the last time I saw him, you know, a couple of hours ago. But, you know, whatever, you know. And, 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 he, and he seems like he's in great shape for someone in his, in his 50s. Now I'd be like, okay, time out. Uh, time out, nope. And then they say, no, in fact, I, I took a picture of him, your son. I'm like, oh my goodness, let me see. And then they show me this picture. (laughs) I would be be out because this dude does not live in my house. Now imagine for a second, somebody started to say, oh, you're ridiculous. Oh, you don't love your son because he's white. Or you don't love him because he's a redhead. Or you don't love him because he's 50. I'm like, no, I don't love him because that's not my son. There is some kind of mistaken identity situation that is happening because by their fruit you shall know them. And last time I checked, black trees do not bear red-headed, freckled um, fruit. Um, Again, I'm not saying it's genetically impossible. I'm just saying it's highly improbable. The thing that's impossible is for me to, 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 to father a son who is older than I am. That's just weird and not even real. But can we take this picture down? It scares me um, a, little, <laughs> a, a little bit. Um, but that's what Paul means here. There is nothing you can ever do to make your dad, to make God love you any less. There is nothing you can do to make him change his disposition towards you. Your behavior has no power to change God's posture towards you. But your behavior does have the power to reveal whether you ever truly followed his son. Your behavior will not change what he thinks about you, but it has the power to reveal who you really are. It has the power to reveal your identity. And if you find these patterns are emerging in your life, it should concern you because after a while, you might have to start to ask the question, has there been for all these years a mistaken identity? And when God looks at me, he says, that's not my son. That's not my daughter. How do you know? You're discriminated. No, I'm telling you because the evidence is in the fruit. By their fruit, you shall know them. Not by what they say they believed one day in high school, but by the things that are emerging in their life on a regular basis. But did you know that all of that is not ultimately designed to indict us as much as it is to invite us? Because if you look at your life and you say, I see patterns of this sinful behavior, the beauty of that is that is an invitation to come back to the only one who has the power to transform and who has the power to truly forgive. If there's a willingness to say, I'm looking at my life and it just doesn't seem to match, the invitation is not to panic. The invitation is to go to the Holy Spirit and say, would you change me from the inside out? And if you're a believer who's been walking with Jesus and you find, but these are the patterns of my life, at a bare minimum, you want to repent and you want to come back to him. And you want to say, Spirit of the living God, teach me what it means to walk with you. You know what I always mistakenly thought about the fruit of the Spirit? I thought the fruit of the Spirit was a checklist of things that we ought to try harder to do. No, it's not. 
The fruit of the Spirit is a checklist of the things that emerge in your life. And if you find that mangoes aren't coming from the tree, instead it's bananas, you don't say, oh, this year I'm going to try hard to produce a mango. No. You go to the only one who can transform the tree. You go to the only one who can change what's produced. And if you walk by the Spirit, he says, these are the symptoms that will start to reveal that the Spirit is at work in you. If you walk with the Spirit, these are the things that are going to emerge. The answer is not to go home and try and love harder. The answer is to go home and think, what does it look like then? I want to walk with the Spirit. Which thankfully, um, for all of you, next week we start a series called Summer Walk. Because we want to ask the question, okay, so what does it look like for us to walk in a way that these things start to be produced in us. Um, man, I'm going to invite the band to come out. And if you're a parent and you need to sneak out to grab your kids, Jen will love you forever. Um, please feel free to do that even as they, um, they rap. But there is something so powerful that Paul invites us to. It's not to freak out. It's not to strive and start trying harder. But it's to ask the question, Am I walking with the Spirit and the evidence is in the fruit? And if the fruit is saying, no, I'm not, then, oh, what does it look like for me to come back and fall at the feet of Jesus? What does it look like for me to come back and say, Spirit of the living God, would you work in me and teach me what it means to truly walk with you? And he will always answer with a resounding yes. And so even as we sing this song, I would ask you, to just ask the Spirit, where am, I, where am I really at? And what are you asking of me this morning? And I'd invite you to respond. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Respond. And so just want to invite elders and, and small group leaders, if you'd be willing as this song is played, why don't we just stand together? Um, and again, if you want to sit, you can do that. If you want to kneel, you can do that. Um, but ask leaders to come forward. And let's pray as people might need somebody to just stand with them as they come back or as they maybe start a journey for the very first time. And then again, would invite you to stick around for a few minutes in next steps afterwards. The Spirit of the living God, work in and among us. In Jesus' name.